Welcome to the study of God's Word with pastor and author Ed Taylor, recorded live from Calvary Chapel in Aurora, Colorado. To learn more about the many resources available through Abounding Grace Media, visit us online at calvaryaurora.org or download our free app on all platforms. And now, here's Pastor Ed to take us into our study. Amen. Amen. Would you take your Bibles and open them to Exodus chapter 3 and Acts chapter 4. Exodus chapter 3, Acts chapter 4, a Bible study that I've entitled, They Had Been with Jesus. And you'll remember here in chapter 4, you have Peter and John on their way to the temple for a prayer meeting. There's a guy there begging. Peter, he senses the Holy Spirit, wants to do something great in his life. He pauses, tells him, hey, look at me. I don't have, you know, what, what, what you're asking for, we don't have. We don't have silver and gold, but what we do have, we're going to give to you. In the name of Jesus Christ, of now there's a wise up, rise up, and they healed them. And it brought great excitement to the people. But there was a group of people that weren't so excited, and that was the religious rulers. They got very upset. And we learned last time that religion is always an enemy of the gospel, and what I mean by religion is not how we use the word to maybe describe our relationship with God in a real generic way. What I mean by religion is the man-made systems that separate people from God, layer after layer after layer. Like the idea that you, you can only come through God through this system, or you can only come to God through a priest, or you can only come to God through a pastor, or you can only come to God through a particular church. No. No, no, that's an enemy of the gospel. Because anyone that's born again has been saved and cleansed by the blood of Jesus Christ. I have the privilege of telling you today, you have direct access to God right now. You don't need to go through a system. You don't need to go through a person. It's not mom and dad that's going to get you there. It's not grandma and grandpa. No system, no barrier. The, the veil was torn in two at the resurrection of Jesus Christ. And then by faith in him, there's no one comes to the Father except through Jesus. And at any time, at any moment, you can choose to come to the Lord. You can, you, can, you can run to the throne room of grace in your time of need. Well, here in Acts chapter 4, Peter and John are standing before the Supreme Court, those that have their life in their hands. And Peter took the opportunity, remember, to preach the gospel to them. He shared with them the reality of the significance of the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ. And it got him in big trouble. And we come to verse 13 of Acts chapter 4. It says, when they saw the boldness of Peter and John and perceived that they were uneducated and untrained men, they marveled. And they realized they had been with Jesus and seeing the man who had been healed standing with them, they could say nothing against it. Now, maybe you felt this way when you hear the word uneducated and you hear the word untrained. It kind of describes you. Where you look at your own life and you say, well, you know, I don't have much education and I don't have much training. And what that does is it wells up in you a sense of inadequacy. I mean, here you are, you love Jesus with all your heart, and you love your church, and you love your community, and you want to make a difference. So you hear of needs, and God impresses something upon your heart, and, and, and then 
there is this overwhelming feeling that you're inadequate, that you don't know enough, that you're not ready. And so that's followed by the feelings of being defeated, maybe even hesitant, perhaps very scared. And you actually talk yourself out of obeying the promptings of the Holy Spirit because you take something spiritual and then you begin to look at it in the physical, untrained, uneducated. In that, I'm reminded here in Exodus chapter three of the life of Moses. We don't have time really to develop at all, but consider Moses as God's calling is upon him. You know, early in his life, I believe he sensed God's hand in his life. I mean, he had his mom taking care of him, and I can't imagine but hearing his mom say, you're a miracle child, you're a miracle child. Look what God has done in your life. Look how he spared your life. And he's hearing of the faithfulness of God in the past, and he's hearing about faithfulness of God in the future. And then he grows up and begins to see a fight between an Egyptian and a brother. And as he sees him, he goes to break it up, And it says in chapter 2 that he ends up killing the Egyptian. And he takes things into his own hands. I think that was a premature action on his part where he feels like, oh, I've got this sense of God's going to use me to deliver. And there he is. He takes down the Egyptian and he tries in the power of his own flesh and the power of his own wisdom and the power of his own strength. And it's interesting to me as you study the life of Moses that in the power of his own flesh, He wasn't capable of even burying one Egyptian. He couldn't even do one. You see, God wanted to bury the whole army of the Egyptians not too long from now, as he does in the Red Sea, but that was going to be by his spirit in his timing. And there is that barrier of feeling inadequate. Moses was definitely there, but God was preparing him. After this episode, he runs away for 40 years of training in the desert. He had a bachelor degree on the backside of the desert is what he had. And he was learning and growing to depend, learning how to grow and depend upon the Lord. And the call of God was clear upon him. And I draw your attention to verse 10 of chapter three in Exodus. There's definitely a calling in his life. As God is speaking to him, he says, come now, therefore I'll send you to Pharaoh that you may bring my people, the children of Israel out of Egypt. But Moses said to God, who am I that I should go to Pharaoh and that I should bring the children of Israel out of Egypt? Forty years in the backside of the desert humbled this man. He's different now. He's not taking things into his own hands. It almost almost seems as if he's overcorrected now. He goes, who am I? Who am I that you could use me? Who am I to go to Pharaoh? Who am I to be the deliverer? Which is the exact place that God wants you and me. He wants us to approach him. Who am I? Who who am I exactly? Apart from you, God, I can do nothing. And you'll see, notice what the answer to that question, who am I, is in verse 12, God says, I will certainly be with you. So to those of you that think you're inadequate, you look at your own training and education and it's not what it could be and not what it should be, you have the promise of the Father where he says, I'll be with you. That's all you need. You don't want to cower in fear of that inadequacy because I think to some degree, God is always going to lead us to places where we feel inadequate. 
I mean, I've been saved now for 31 years. I've been serving God for 30 of those years or so. And as I've served him over the years, I'm telling you, I am still led into places even now where there's an overwhelming sense of inadequacy. Why? Because God wants me to continue to grow, and not just me, God wants you to continue to grow in your dependence upon him. He doesn't want us leaning on our own understanding. He doesn't want us leaning on our own experience. And he also doesn't want us making excuses about being inadequate. He wants us to turn to him. So I think the summary of our time today could easily be said it this way. For those of you that feel inadequate, inadequacy is a perfect place and position to serve the Lord. Because it will cause you to lean on him and not on yourself. So guess what? I just took that excuse away from you. God wants you to serve him. He wants you to be a part of what he's doing on the earth today. And of course we're going to feel inadequate. Because in many ways, in our own strength, we are 100% inadequate. But God is able to meet us right where we are, to train us, to develop us. I mean, I'm sure someone listening to me right now, you're in your 40 years on the backside of the desert right now. God's fashioning you and forming you. He's taking who you thought you were, and he's revealing to you who you really are, so that at the end you go, who am I? And the Lord says, I'll tell you what, it doesn't matter who you are, I'm with you. And I will be with you. The very things we're afraid of are the very promises of God. Well, what am I going to do? How am I going to do it? What's going to happen? Remember what Jesus told his disciples. He said, they're going to take you and they're going to put you before councils. But I don't want you to worry about what you're going to say. Because I'm going to be there with you. The Holy Spirit's going to give you the words that you need. And here Peter and John are in that very place. Living out the promises of God. Now, I'm sure if I asked the question, do you ever feel inadequate, the whole room would say, of course. I know I do. And that's not a bad feeling to have. You just can't let it become an excuse in your life. In 2 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 16, Paul writes to the church, he says, to the one, we're an aroma of death leading to death, but to the other, we're an aroma of life leading to life. And then he says at the end, who is sufficient for these things? None of us are. Our sufficiency is from Christ. And I stand back and look at the, word, the work of God in your lives, and I hear of your testimonies. I look at the work of God through the life of this fellowship family, and you just have to stand back in awe of what God has done and wants to do in us and through us. Despite our failures, despite our weaknesses. You know where the Bible says that even if we are faithless, he remains faithful. He's not going to die himself. So you can even come to him faithless and God is ready to use you. Why? So that he might get all the glory. God answers, I'll be with you. I'll take care of you. It's, you're not going alone. You have me. And he tells Moses and he tells us he's the same yesterday and forever. He'll always be the same. It's not who you are, Ed. It doesn't really matter who you are, Moses. I'm with you. I'm the one that works through you. It matters who I am, God would say to us. Remember, God's ways are not our ways, Isaiah 55, verses 8 and 9. His thoughts are not our thoughts. They're so much higher, so much grander than even what we can think beyond our imagination. And we see this so clearly in the people that God uses. 
I, I look at the ministry of God through my own life, and I can't help but conclude that his word is true. The basis of God's choice is so contrary to human reason. And that's what these religious leaders don't get. You have to understand, they're in a position of religious leadership, but they're not saved. They're not regenerated. And you know, it's a sad thing today, but there are churches around the country, around the world, that the pulpits and leadership positions and elder positions are filled with unbelievers. Imagine that. Not even believers leading the church. And that's what you see here with the Sanhedrin. They have rejected Messiah. They are not regenerated. So that when they see God's work right in front of them, they miss it. They miss it. You have to have spiritual eyes to see spiritual work. It's the Spirit of God that opens up His Word to us. It's the Spirit of God that teaches us. And the basis of God's choice is always contrary to human reason. You need proof? Just look around the room. Look to the person you came with. You know them very well. They're God's choice for the ministry. Look to the pulpit. Who am I is a great question to ask. Well, I'll tell you who I am. Turn over to 1 Corinthians chapter 1. 1 Corinthians chapter 1. Not only am I going to tell you who I am, I'm going to tell you who you are as well. 1 Corinthians chapter 1. I find no greater reason for God using me in the ministry than this passage of Scripture. And you may want to mark it, put a star next to it, and remember it in your own life. Verse 26, chapter 1. It says, For you see your calling, brethren, that not many wise according to the flesh. That's you, and that's me. Not many mighty. Oh, by the way, that's you, and that's me. Not many noble are called. But God has chosen the foolish things of the world. Oh, oh, by the way, that's you. Yeah, you listening on the radio. Yes, you watching online and all throughout this building. We are the foolish things of the world that God has chosen. Why? To put to shame the wise. And God has chosen the weak things of the world. Oh, by the way, that's you. The weak things of the world. Why? To shame the things that are mighty and the base things. Need I say it again? That's you and me. The things that are despised. You know, we don't use the word despise much. Let me put it into a more modern phrase. God chooses the things that are despised. You know what we would say, how we would describe that today? The people that others have written off. That's God's choice. And I wonder how many could say today, you know what, Ed, that was me. I was written off. People gave up hope on me. They just couldn't, they couldn't see any way that I could be recovered. Yeah, well, God, God didn't give up hope on you. He chose you. The despised. The outcast. The, the man, the woman, the child that was written off. You know, some of you grew up, unfortunately, in a very difficult life in your home because your parents would say, oh, you'll never amount to nothing. God chose you. Oh, you'll never go. No, God chose you. You know, and, and some, even to some, we've ministered to some, they even say, their parents would even say, oh, you know, you're not even wanted. No, no, no. You are wanted by your Father in heaven. Oh, yes, you are. Not only are you wanted, but you're chosen so that God would use you to bring him glory. I mean, if you look around and you think, there's, there's people in our lives that maybe we would have never chosen. I mean, think, of, would you have really, knowing what you know about Peter, would you have chosen him? 
I mean, he denied the Lord, like, to his face. He ran away. He, he denied him before a servant girl at a fire. Like, like he, he was so bold and yet denied the Lord. Would that be somebody you want on your team? I mean, Jonah, would you have chosen Jonah? He gets a call from God and immediately goes the opposite way. Oh, I want that guy on my team. Now, I'm sure you don't. I mean, would you have chosen Job? You know, Job has this man of righteousness living his life honorably, and then he's struck with great tragedy, and he loses his consciousness of God, and he's surrounded by all this difficulty, so much so that God would have to come to him and say, Job, where were you? He had to get his right perspective. Would you have chosen Job? I mean, you can go on and on. And you think of your own life, and you know about yourself. And, you know, you have to stop with not, not knowing the full story, but up to the point where you were just dead in your trespasses and sin, just totally lost, totally rebellious, totally anti-Christ. Would you have chosen you? God did. And so it's just one of those moments, right, where you can just thank God you're not God. All right? Just say, thank God I'm not God. His ways are not my ways. His thoughts are not my thoughts. So it would do me well to be in the word of God every day and pray every day so I can get his thoughts <laughs> and I can learn his ways. I can cooperate with what he's doing on the earth today and be open for the foolish things, those things that are despised, those folks that have been written off, the weak things, so that at the end he gets all the glory. And the hope Moses brings us is that even if you have failed, God can still use you He's the God of the second chance and the third chance and the sixth chance and the hundredth chance. It's the same salvation and the same God ready to receive you back even today. So Peter and John now in Acts are brought before the Jewish Supreme Court and they're standing there in the confidence and the boldness and the power of the Holy Spirit. What amazes me is the response of these religious men when they look down at him and they see the boldness, because it was evident, but then they have these perceptions that they were uneducated and untrained, it says in verse 13, and they marveled. I mean, their boldness was evident. It was undeniable. Peter and John were not afraid. They were not intimidated. They were living in the freedom that comes by the grace of Jesus. They spoke without hesitation. They spoke effortlessly, they spoke plainly, they spoke clearly, they spoke confidently, just like the psalm we read today, Psalm 27, verse 3, where it says, Though an army may encamp against me, my heart shall not fear, and though war should rise against me, in this I will be confident. This is where they're at. And the religious leaders, they make a couple mistakes here, and if you're taking notes, I want you to jot them down. They make a couple significant mistakes on their perception. Number one, they misperceived the education of these two men. They look at them and they look at them and say they're uneducated and untrained. Now you have to understand there is a contextual, there is a contextual definition here when they look at them and they say untrained and uneducated. It's not unlike our world today. There, there is a system of education, even in the Christian world, that you're either in or out of. 
You know, in the Christian world, it would, you, you'd take your bachelor's and then you'd go into seminary and then the seminary could give you a master's of divinity, all kinds of masters, and they can even give you PhDs and you can be well-educated in the Christian system of education. It's the way it was in the first century. There was a very precise way of education that you would follow all those steps in order to be accepted within the religious environment. There's a whole world like that in our own day and age that would look at someone like me and say, well, that guy's uneducated and untrained. And and they would be right. And this may shock some of you, uh, but I haven't been to seminary. I don't have a bachelor's degree. I don't have a master's degree. I definitely don't have a PhD or any kind of doctorate. However, I did finally finish about five or six years ago my associate's degree in biblical studies. Yes, it's hanging on my wall. I can prove it to you and take a picture and you can see I've got a piece of paper on my wall. But do you know a piece of paper doesn't put me in the pulpit? It's God who's placed me in the pulpit. You see, my ba- I started out backwards. I started out in such a way where I couldn't go to school. I was such a sinner and had so many consequences of my sin that by the time I got saved, I had already had a family. You know, I, I, I had no opportunity. I just had to work. That's what I just worked, worked, worked to take care of my family. I wanted to go to school, but I couldn't. And so even today, if I was to enter into a seminary and say, hey, I'd love to teach here. What's your degrees? I don't have any. I mean, I got that associates that I finished on my couch, but it's, you know, it's hanging on my wall and it's uh, from an unaccredited school. But, but I have the anointing of God on my life, uh, but you don't have the degrees. You're right. And so I wouldn't be able to teach in seminary. I wouldn't have the ability to go from level to level because unfortunately I was outside the system. But I believe the Lord wants you to understand that you don't need to be a part of the system to serve him. We believe in the priesthood of all believers. We believe that the Holy Spirit is given freely to every single believer equally. We believe that the power of the Holy Spirit can come upon every believer and you can be baptized in the Holy Spirit, given spiritual gifts to use, being led, strengthened, and helped along by the Spirit. And one of the gifts that God had given to me is the gift and the office and the position of pastor-teacher. And believe me, I'm just as shocked as you are. Now, by now, you, I don't want you to misunderstand me. And those of you listening in, I don't want to be, I'm not anti-education in any way. Just like I was raising my kids, I told them this. I said, kids, this is what you need to do. You need to get as much education as you can, as fast as you can, as cheap as you can. Because that'll help you along the way because you guys are paying for it. So as much as you can, as fast as you can, as cheap as you can. Why? Because education is a door opener, for sure. And many of you are called into a realm of this world that requires education, that requires you to go through the training and to prepare for that. So, so don't misunderstand me. I'm not anti-education, but I am very much not in favor of all these systems and places where there are churches today that if I applied for a position, I've been serving the Lord for a long time. If I applied for a position, they look at my resume and go, oh, you're not qualified. Not qualified? What, what qualifies me? Well, where's your degrees and what school did you go to? Well, I don't know what to tell you, except that I want to serve the Lord. And for some reason, 
God has given me the gift to take his word and teach it and people understand it and they run with what God is doing. And I might just be that foolish one or I might just be that weak one or I just might be that base one or I might just be that one that's despised. But I'll tell you what, I am definitely the one that God has chosen. And I embrace his choice in my life even though it is very, very hard. I remember not too long after my son passed away, I was very, I was very distraught, very discouraged and I was pretty much done with ministry. I didn't ever think I'd come back to the pulpit. Uh, I didn't think I could do it anymore. So I started investigating all these different places, like, like all the, I heard about schools that could take your experience, right, and turn it into credits. And I'm like, I better get a degree. I can't, I'm going to have to land a job somewhere. So I got to go get a degree. And so I'm looking at them. I started making calls and I'm like, well, you know, I've got 20 years of experience. And one of the schools said, well, you know, we can give you like six credits for that. Well, how, much, how many credits do I need to graduate? 200. I'm like, nah, man, I don't think so. Not only do I not have the money, but I don't have the time. And God even used that little phone call to go, no, Ed, I didn't call you to go back to school. I called you to go back to the pulpit. And I just know how hard it is, this whole system where you don't come. And, and I, I'm, not a, I'm not in favor, and I want to be crystal clear about this. I recognize that people choose this route and, and I don't look down on you or judge you at all. I'm giving you a perspective that maybe you haven't heard before. But from, from the scriptures and God's choice upon you, I, I don't really agree with the seminary system that says, we're going to take you out of your church for two years, teach you and tell you how to do ministry, charge you an exorbitant amount of money that you don't have, that you're going to have to get a loan, and you're going to have to pay it back the rest of your life. And then once you're done with two years, we're going to drop you back in your church, and then you can just tell them how it's done. No, I don't think so. Jesus has you and me learning among the flock. It's among, you get trained from within in the Holy Spirit. And and I just think, again, the the real target here are for those of you that kind of look down on yourself because you view yourself as uneducated or untrained. You can be well-trained and educated by the Holy Spirit. And this is in no way some negative statement among those, you know, some of you are sitting there go, well, I've got a doctorate. I'm glad you got it. You should go get a second one. God's going to use it in your life. Well, you know, I've worked all my life, but, but here's the thing. Here's the thing when it comes to education. Knowledge puffs up, but love edifies. So whatever knowledge God has given you and whatever training he has you and whatever degrees you're working for, because that's what's needed in your field of work, make sure it's evened out with love. Because that's the gospel. The gospel doesn't come by the conveyance of knowledge. The gospel comes by the conveyance of love. And so here they are. And maybe you felt this way. Uneducated. Untrained. I I think of my dad. You know, the era of my dad's life, he had to, to end his high school education to take care of his family. So I think he finished ninth or tenth grade. And many people would look at him and go, you know, he's uneducated and untrained. Man, my dad was a smart man. He was well-educated and well-trained. It was just different. And with the body of Christ, it's just different. You can stand with boldness, and people will throw all kinds of things at you. You don't know, and you're not trained. They'll throw all kinds of things, but what are you going to do? You're going to stand there in the boldness of God and say, I don't know any other way to explain it but I'll open the Bible and I'll show God, I'm pretty foolish, God chooses foolish people. I'm pretty weak, he chooses weak people. And it's good because then he gets all the glory for the great things he has done. So let me just ask you this question. 
they don't mind, I'm gonna, it's a little quiz here. So when the Sanhedrin looks at Peter and John and says, oh, we perceive you're uneducated. Was Peter and John truly uneducated, yes or no? No. Three years with Jesus. Who's going to top that? Every day, all day. To learn from your mistakes, to be, to be corrected and trained by Jesus himself. But then not only were they not uneducated, but let's ask this, were they untrained? No way, you can't pay for a training and education that Peter and John. But just understand, a person that walks simply with their God, humbly with their God, just obeying him is not going to be understood by the world. And they'll just start calling you names and they'll start looking, oh, who are you? And you're just so plain and simple. Well, I like to keep it simple. They were wrong. They were misperceived the education. Secondly, they misperceived the presence of Jesus. Look what they said. It says, and they realized that they had been with Jesus. Well, you know they're wrong, right? They're only partially right here. You could say the Sanhedrin, the religious rulers, are only half right. It is true. They had been with Jesus. But you know what they missed? Not only had they been with Jesus, but they are with Jesus right then and there. Because they were so anti-resurrection, at least the Sadducees and the religious leaders, you know, the high priests, they were so anti-resurrection, they didn't even hear that. But what they miss is they just weren't with Jesus. They are living out the promises of Jesus. He is with them right there. What they're recognizing is actually not Peter and John. What they're recognizing is the present power and the power and presence of Jesus Christ with them. And you know, you have the same thing. You have exactly the same thing that Peter and John. You have the indwelling presence of Jesus in your life wherever you go. And you also have the empowering of Jesus through the Holy Spirit wherever you go. Peter and John here in chapter 4 are no different than you. None. They're, they're no different than you. You are in the same family of God that they are. They hadn't just been with Jesus. They're with him right now. And it's true that spending time with Jesus is always the key to our lives. Abiding in Christ, trusting him daily. Like right now, this is, you kind of look at it maybe as a church service or listening to the radio, you know, watching online, watching a YouTube video. But what you're really doing is spending time with Jesus. Why? Because you presented yourself to the teaching of God's word. You are learning his ways. You are learning his thoughts. As they stand there, there's boldness. There is courage. We know that because back in verse 8, it says, Peter, filled with the Holy Spirit. So when you're thinking, what does this Holy Spirit look like in my life? Boldness, courage, a tactfulness, a, a staying put. Truly, that's what the word abide means. Would you turn over to John 15 as we wind down today? That's what the word abide means. It literally means to stay put. And that is God's word to you and me today. You may view yourself as uneducated or untrained in spiritual things. You may never see an opportunity to get education or training. It's just not possible financially, practically, whatever that might be. But don't write yourself off because you feel inadequate. 
Don't write yourself off that you don't have some of the training that other people do or that you don't know as much as other people do. You can serve God with what you know. And the areas where you feel inadequate, you can trust him to give you what you need to know when you need to know it. He's not going to give, you know, and as he's preparing you, he's not going to dump, God doesn't dump everything in your life all at once so that you can just live it out and coast for the next 40 years. God gives you what you need in the moment, and then you come to the next day, and you come to the next day, you come to the next day. You draw on the very presence of Jesus, not just because you were with him, but because you are with him. Are you guys with me so far? How do you stay with him? Well, notice John 15, Jesus is speaking. How do we spend time? How do we abide? Well, he says in verse 15, or verse 1 of chapter 15, I am the true vine, and my father is the vine dresser. Every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away. Every branch that bears fruit, he prunes that it may bear more fruit. You're already clean because of the word which I've spoken to you. And then listen, verse 4 abide in me and I in you. If you haven't already, circle the word abide, and you can write next to it, to dwell, to remain, or to stay put. It's actually the Greek word, if you want to jot it down, M-E-N-O, meno. It means to stay put. It means that that is where you live. It's where you spend your life. You, You are in the presence You're there physically, you're there mentally, you're there emotionally. Stay in Christ. Don't allow all the other influences to pull you away from your sweet time abiding in Christ. And this is why, he says, as the branch cannot bear fruit of itself unless it abides in the vine, neither can you unless you abide in me. I am the vine, he says in verse 5, And you are the branches. He who abides in me and I in him bears much fruit because without me, you can do nothing. Don't you love the depth of Jesus' teaching at the same time using very simple illustrations? So you got a branch. A branch separated from the vine and here using the illustration of a vineyard. A branch separated from the vine is gonna bear nothing. It's gonna die. It's going to be on the, you don't, you know, if you go out as a vine dresser and you're looking at your vineyard, you're, you're not going to be looking for fruit from branches that are on the ground. You're going to be looking to the vine and the branches that are connected. It, you know, we determined uh, in our service last night that in Colorado, you can grow apple trees. So let's use an apple tree as an illustration. You got that apple tree in your backyard. You're going outside looking for apples. The one place you're not going to look for apples are on broken branches that are away from the tree. I mean, if you do, tell me afterwards why. But, but they're not. They're not they're, you're you're going to look where? Up. You're going to look to the branches connected. You're going to look for the apples that are there, ripe and ready to pick. The, the low-hanging fruit even. And because you know the branch that's connected to the, the, the trunk, you know it's going to bear fruit. At least you hope it's going to bear fruit. And there's a lot of assumptions that take place with that tree that you don't even think through. First of all, you're going to look for branches connected, number one. Number two, you're going to look for apples. Why? Well, because it's not a watermelon tree. There's no such thing. It's not an orange tree. If it's an apple tree, then you're going to look for apples. And you take that for granted. But when you're a branch that is connected to the vine, what are you going to look for? The fruit of the Spirit. Love, joy, 
peace, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, faithfulness, self-control. Branches connected to the vine are going to produce those things very naturally. Another thing we don't pay attention to is as the branch is connected to the trunk, that the trunk goes down into the ground and then there's root system under. What is the root system doing? But taking all the nutrients and the roots do what they need to do. The trunk does what it needs to do. The branch does what it needs to do. What does the branch do? Just stays there. That's it. That's all the branch does. The branch has one purpose. Stay there. You are the branches. And your purpose is just stay there. That's how fruit, you don't, the fruit that God requires is the fruit that he produces. <laughs> you can't give, you can't force it and then offer it to God. Here it is. Because I know as well as you, you would not take a chair and at, the, at the time of where it's time for apples to be produced. You wouldn't take a chair, sit on the, on the, in front of the tree, look up at it, and then very carefully listen because you want to hear the tree producing, right? So I know if you did that, and I go ahead and try it. And tell me how it goes. So you're standing there for a, an hour, and you're listening for the tree. One thing you will not hear is the tree doing this. Why? Because the tree doesn't work at producing. It just does. It's not all your effort and performance, church. You just stay put in Christ. And he'll produce much fruit out of your life. Because you cannot produce fruit without him. But like Paul teaches us, I, even though I can do nothing without him, right? For without me, you can do nothing Paul tells us the other side of that coin, I can do all things through Christ Jesus who strengthens me. Why? Because I've chosen to stay put. I, this is where I belong. I belong in Christ. It's the safest place on the planet Earth is to be in Christ. With the world and the turmoil that we're facing right now, the challenges that we're facing globally, the challenges that we're facing in our own nation, the challenges we're facing in our own city. Some of you have challenges in your own homes in your own families, in your own singleness, in your own marriage. I mean, challenge after challenge after challenge. You will not find safety and security in any of those things, only in Christ. Why is it that we run away from him when times get tough? Because a branch that's disconnected will not bear fruit. That branch will have to come to the end of their senses and come back. And be grafted back in. Because the Lord is faithful. He's so faithful to us. He says in verse 7 of John 15, If you abide in me and my words abide in you, you're going to ask what you desire and it shall be done for you. It's such a beautiful truth because if you're abiding in Christ, his desires are your desires. So you're going to ask what the things he's already planted in your heart. You're going to be in unity with him. His words, you're reading your Bible every day. You're in prayer every day. You're living with the consciousness of God in your life. I mean, nobody ever sins with the consciousness of God in their life. You have to dismiss God in order to sin. You just have to write him off. You just explain him away. But that's not God's heart for you. It's not God's heart for me. He wants us to what? Abide. That's it. Just abide. Enjoy him. Trust him. Because this is where many Christians get upset and frustrated. This sense of obligation. I need to work harder. I need to do more. 
No, just stop. You don't need to work harder or do more. Just surrender. Just surrender. You're in the backside of the desert right now. Just throw your hands up. Like surrender is like give up. Stop fighting God. Stop fighting your circumstances. Trust God with your life. He's working all things together for the good. He's sovereign. He knows things you don't know. Because I'll tell you this. If you knew what God knew, you would do what God wants you to do. (laughs) If you knew what God knew about your life, you would do what God wants you to do. And so seek his face. Seek first the kingdom of heaven and his righteousness and all these things will be added unto you. Amen? So Father, let those truths sink down into our hearts, Lord. I know a Bible study like this could be easily misunderstood. So I just pray over all those misunderstandings. Just, Lord, release all the warfare that's in our minds and our hearts. And and we want to abide in you, trust you with our lives. As we come to the communion table, our heart's desire is to be one with you, to stay put, to dwell, to remain with you, and to trust you afresh and anew with our lives. In Jesus' name, amen. We pray that you've been encouraged by this Bible study delivered live from the sanctuary of Calvary Aurora. For prayer or a copy of this study, call us at 877-30-GRACE. That's 877-304-7223. Or visit us online at calvaryaurora.org. Be blessed as you worship Jesus this week 